Hello, it's Wednesday, the 16th of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. President Yoon Sung-yeol pressed Chinese President Xi Jinping to take a more active role in containing North Korea during their first face-to-face meeting on Tuesday. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. With less than a week to go until the Qatar 2022 World Cup, we preview the tournament for our in-depth today, assessing the favourites, the dark horses, and whether South Korea can reach the top 16. And then coming up for Korea Book Club, we discover a story about body image and the struggles of coping with social pressures. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. President Yoon Sung-yeol has returned home after a packed diplomatic tour in Southeast Asia. His final leg at the G20 in Bali, Indonesia, was capped with a face-to-face meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping, a first for President Yoon and a first between the two countries' heads of state in nearly three years. For more on this and our other headlines of the day, we're joined on the line now by KBS World Radio News Editor Yunus Kim. Yunus, hello. Hello, Chang'ol. So this meeting on Tuesday evening offered the two leaders a chance to gauge their positions on issues affecting the region and the world, but in particular North Korea's recent military provocations. Has there been any change in how the two will respond to North Korea? Yeah, there doesn't appear to be substantive changes or a firm agreement on how South Korea and China together would engage North Korea. It could be said that the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia, which just recently wrapped, has been Chinese President Xi Jinping's return to the global stage after remaining within his own country's borders during the COVID-19 pandemic years. Seoul's presidential office saying that during the Yoon Xi meeting that lasted for about 25 minutes on Tuesday evening on the sidelines of the G20, President Yoon called on China, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, to play a more constructive and active role in containing North Korea in the wake of its intensified provocations over the recent months. President Xi also stressed the importance of keeping peace on the Korean Peninsula and the wider region, noting it is a matter of mutual interest for China as as well as South Korea. But when it came to the approach, there was a divide. The Chinese leader expressed his hope that Seoul would proactively work toward improving inter-Korean relations. President Xi also expressed conditional support for President Yoon's quote-unquote bold initiative for the North that offers economic assistance in exchange for denuclearization, saying that Beijing will back it should Pyongyang accept the proposal. The two leaders also remained in firm agreement on continuing efforts to further South Korea-China relations based on the principles of mutual respect and reciprocity with consideration for joint interests. Let's unpack that a bit further. Are there any plans for the two leaders, for example, to visit each other's countries in the near future? Yeah, President Xi did indicate that he was open to possibly accepting President Yoon's standing invitation to make a visit to South Korea once the pandemic situation stabilizes. He also reciprocated by inviting President Yoon to visit China at a mutually convenient time. There was also concurrence on President Yoon's proposal to hold regular high-level dialogue between the two governments to address challenges such as the pandemic, economic and 
uncertainties and climate change. Uh, President Xi, on his part, brought up a 1.5-track dialogue that would include private sector experts as well. Meanwhile, during the course of this Southeast Asian tour, President Yun also revealed his new Indo-Pacific strategy that some critics have opined aligns too heavily with the U.S. and Japan. So what does his office have to say about this? So there was a briefing held by a senior top office official to discuss the outcomes of the president's recently wrapped tour. And the official said that there remains enough room for diplomacy with China and that President Yoon's Indo-Pacific strategy does not box out China. The official said there are many channels through which Seoul and Beijing can discuss bilateral and global issues such as climate change and supply chains. He added that joint efforts with China China will continue to find areas in which the two countries can contribute to the greater good. The official also underlined that the Korea-U.S. alliance is a, quote, central axis in Seoul's diplomatic strategy that also pursues expanded cooperation and opportunities with other countries such as China, rejecting the interpretation that the tour's developments had pitted any one nation against others. And what about outcomes with the bilateral summit with the Japanese prime minister? Anything anything new on this front in the briefing? Yeah, that was touched upon as well. The official said President Yoon and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida shared a candid discussion, including on the issue of outstanding historical matters, as well as North Korea and other regional and global issues during their first formal summit in Cambodia on Sunday. Noting an amicable atmosphere, the official said no concrete measures on the issue of compensation for Japan's wartime forced labor was directly addressed, but that they saw eye to eye on the need to quickly resolve the issue and expressed a willingness to accelerate relevant consultations so as to improve their bilateral relations. The two sides confirmed that negotiations were underway and that both Yoon and Kishida were receiving updates as possible solutions are being narrowed down. Let's head to some domestic headlines next. In a follow-up to a story we covered yesterday, prosecutors have requested an arrest warrant for Jung Jin-san, one of the Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung's closest aides on bribery and corruption charges in relation to a high-profile land development scandal. Can you tell us more? Indeed, prosecutors had questioned Chung Jin Sang, who is the opposition party leader's policy coordination chief, for 14 hours yesterday ahead of the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office today filing for that arrest warrant. Chung had served as a policy aide to the DP chief when he was the Seongnam City Mayor and Gyeonggi Province Governor during the period in question. He is accused of receiving 140 million won from key figures involved in the so-called Pejangdong development scandal, including Yu Donggyu, the former acting chief of Songnam Development Corporation between 2013 and 2020, in return for business favors. He is also suspected of having directed Yu to throw out his cell phone in September last year as prosecutors were gearing up for a raid. Let's next take a look at some results of a social survey that Statistics Korea conducted and released the findings of today. Its data says one out of two South Koreans polled do not think marriage is absolutely necessary. 
Uh, Eunice, can you break down the numbers for us? Yeah, this would mark a pointed shift from social opinion, even as recent as a decade ago, I think. Statistics Korea on Wednesday said it surveyed some 36,000 people of varying age groups, but over 13 years old, from May 11 through 26 of this year. Uh, They crunched the numbers, and of them, 50% of respondents did say one should get married, which is down 1.2 percentage points from two years ago. 43.2% said both getting married or not are okay, while 3.6% said they are opposed to marriage. As you can imagine, there were splits according to demographics. A majority of men still considered marriage necessary at 55.8%, while 44.3% of women gave the same response. The gender gap widened among unmarried people, with 36.9% of men believing they should get married and just 22.1% among women agreeing. Asked about their reasons for not wanting to get married, 28.7% cited a lack of money, while 14.6% mentioned job instability. In other news, the U.S. Department of Justice has decided to conduct further deliberations over the planned merger of South Korea's Korean Air and Asiana Airlines. Can you tell us more? Yeah, according to Korean Air on Wednesday, the U.S. Department of Justice said it plans to continue reviewing the proposed merger beyond the 75-day deliberation period initially agreed upon with the uh, Korean flag carrier. That extension will afford U.S. authorities more time to thoroughly determine whether the merger could result in a market monopoly due to Korean Air and Asiana Airlines' large number of North America-bound routes, with such flights accounting for 29% of Korean Air's sales prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S.'s decision, of course, follows Britain's Competition and Markets Authority raising concerns on Monday over the planned merger, citing a possible market monopoly potentially resulting in higher prices for passengers flying between London and Seoul. And finally, health authorities are tightening regulations for residents of nursing facilities going on day or overnight trips amid a winter resurgence of the COVID-19 pandemic. What more can you tell us? Yeah, even today we heard the KDCA report 66,587 new COVID-19 infections throughout Tuesday. That is a rise of over 10,000 cases from two weeks ago. So starting Monday, according to the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters, nursing care facility residents who were vaccinated or tested positive to COVID more than 120 days prior will be required to get an Omicron booster shot before leaving the facilities. Those who get a booster will also be exempt from PCR testing currently being conducted on patients and employees of such high-risk facilities. The average daily caseload over the past week stood at 49,180. That is up 15.8% from a week earlier, according to health authorities, while the average daily number of critical cases requiring hospitalization was up 18.7% on a week at 300 49. The daily number of deaths, the average of that, was also up at 38 or 16.9% higher than last week. That's all for our news briefing today. Eunice, thank you for the headlines. You bet.
2022 World Cup in Qatar is mere days away now. Once again over the next month, nations from around the world will battle it out to see who will be crowned the champions of football. All 32 sides have turned in their rosters for the tournament, including South Korea, who are able to somewhat breathe a sigh of relief as Sung Min made it to the 26-man squad despite suffering a fracture around his left eye two weeks ago. How much he will be able to take part remains to be seen. We have two guests joining us for this special preview of the tournament now. First, we have a good friend of the show, sports writer Steve Price on the line. Steve, hello. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you for being on the show today. And we have another Steve standing by as well, football writer Steve Han. He joins us now as well. Mr Han, hello to you too. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Yes, it's going well as well. Gentlemen, it's great to have you with us. Uh, I'll be calling you by your surnames today just to save any confusion. Uh, Let me start by asking you about the general mood you are seeing from football fans at the moment. We're less than a week away and, of course, it's a World Cup, so it's exciting. Uh, But there are also some conflicting emotions because of uh, where it's being held and also the time of year as well. Uh, Mr Price, let me start with you. How are you feeling at the moment? Right. I mean, like any normal international break, you always hear fans talking about, oh, when is the Premier League coming back? And <laughs> I feel it's a little bit like it's the same here. This is coming in mid-season. And I think a lot of fans are still thinking about the Premier League. I mean, normally when the World Cup comes at the end of the season, um, already a lot of teams know where they're going to finish and things like that. So they're already starting to think of the World Cup even before the season's ended. But this time it's coming up so quickly that there's not really been much of a build-up to it. Mm, yes, it is coming in an odd time of year. It's the first uh, Winter World Cup, of course. Uh, Mr Han, what about yourself? What sort of emotions are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, even for me, it does feel a little different because it's a bit strange to see that, you know, there's only a week of training for most of these national teams ahead of the World Cup this time because, you know, for previous tournaments, teams would generally train together for about three weeks before the tournament, which naturally leads to an exciting build-up to it. But, you know, this one does feel like there's something happening sort of on a short notice, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not necessarily that it's bad, but it, it, it does feel a little different for sure. Sure, the build-up is somewhat truncated, but hopefully once the football starts, uh, everyone will get uh, excited and get on board. So let's uh, talk about the football now. Mr Han, who do you think are the favourites for the tournament this year and who would you also pick as a dark horse as well? Uh, The favorites for the tournament, for me, I I think number one, I have to go with Brazil. I do think they have the strongest squad. I do think in terms of uh, team cohesion, they're at the highest level compared to all of the the other top-tier teams at the tournament. As for the underdogs, maybe the dark horse of the tournament, I I mean, I guess we all would love to say that it it could be Korea. That (laughs) that could be one of the dark horses of the tournament. You You know, as for the other teams... One team that I'm really looking at um, to have a successful World Cup is Ecuador. Um, I think their head coach, Gustavo Alfaro, is a solid, solid coach. And what's impressive is that, um, unlike in the past, Ecuador impressed throughout uh, South American qualifying with an attacking style of football. And, mm. you know, they've got experience from veterans like Enter Valencia, um, but also plenty of youth, you know, and younger talents like Moises Castillo and uh, Jeremy Sarmiento, both of whom at age 21 and 20 are already playing in the English Premier League for a, a quality team like Brighton. So if they can handle the pressure of um, playing against the home team in Qatar on opening day, I can see them making it past the group stage in Group A and maybe have a shot at making a deep run into the tournament. Okay, so Ecuador, possibly a team to look out for. 
Mr. Price, same question to you. Who do you think will win? Uh, for example, how do you think France, the defending champions, will fare? And who else do you think we should look out for? All right. Um, well, I'm going to say for the winner, um, all the statistics seem to be, everything seems to be pointing towards Brazil. I mean, the Opta are saying they're going to win. The recent form says Brazil are going to win. And recent form has proved very important in the past five tournaments. Uh, Brazil have uh, won the last seven games and scored 26 goals in that time. And they haven't lost since uh, 2021. For France, they seem to have, um, there's, you know, the World Cup curse. So always the winners of the past tournament seem to really struggle. And they've also had extremely poor form going into this tournament and plenty of injuries to key players, especially people like N'Golo Kante, uh, for example, and Paul Pogba. So that could really play in for them. And my prediction for the Dark Horse is uh, one of France's uh, teams in France's group, that's Denmark, who have looked really good for the last few years. Uh, people still see them as underdogs, but they perform really well in the European Championships. They actually beat France the last two times they played them. That was in June and September. And now they've got their star player, Christian Eriksen, back. So I think they could be one of the surprises of the tournament. Mm, OK. Uh, so Denmark, a possible dark horse as well. So there are going to be plenty of star names as well, of course, Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, but there are also quite a few star names that are not going to be there because their nations do not qualify, such as Erling Haaland of Norway and Mohamed Salah of Egypt. Uh, of course, Italy are missing out as well this year. Mr Price, how much of a miss do you think they are going to be? Well, I've got to say, they deserve to miss out. They had a, a relatively easy qualifying group with Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Bulgaria and Lithuania in there. And they didn't finish top of that group. And then they had uh, the, qualif um, the playoff qualifiers and lost to North Macedonia. So I've got to say, they weren't at the last World Cup. They're not going to be at this one. And maybe that's a bit deserved. I think the teams that maybe did deserve to come to the World Cup of some of the teams in Africa because they have a very cruel qualification process where you can top your group and then you play these two playoff games and it's winner takes all. And those games are against the other top teams in Africa. And Nigeria, they're one of the, the biggest sides in Africa. They've got a lot of great upcoming players and they lost on away goals, so they're not in the World Cup. Egypt, of course, with Mo Salah, lost in penalties uh, against Senegal. So... Seeing those two not at the World Cup also is uh, kind of a bit a big miss. Mm. Uh, Mr. Han, Mr. Price has no sympathy for Italy, it seems. Uh, but still, we are missing some uh, big names. Erling Haaland, he's blowing up in the Premier League at the moment, but he won't be there. Right, and you know that's a disappointment as well because um, it feels like to me, you know, English Premier League is probably the best league in the world right now, and he's been the best player in that league, a top goal scorer by far. So it's it's a bit disappointing to not see him, but and also at the same time, one team that I'm kind of disappointed to not see at the World Cup this time is also Algeria, um, because I feel like over the last over the last few years or over the last decade or so, they've been one of the strongest teams in Africa, and to see them miss out just because the African qualifying the way it's set up. You know they go through a group stage, and it's almost like every team has to go through a playoff to win a knockout game to make it to the to make it to the to the final rounds of the of the tournament. So to not see them, um, you know, to not see a star player like Riyad Riyad Mahrez at the World Cup, it's 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 a bit disappointing for me. Right, so it is a shame that these players are missing out. But let's look to uh, the teams that are there. Uh, Mr Han, uh, looking through the groups in the tournament, which ones have caught your eye? Which ones do you think are going to be exciting to watch? 
Um, I'm really looking forward to Group B, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be a very competitive group. Um, you know, England is, England is considered as, as, as the favorites for the group. But, you know, you look at the three other teams, Wales, Iran, and the USA, I, I, I just think it's going to be a, a, an entertaining group to watch. You know, Iran versus USA, I think, for several reasons, not just for football reasons. I think that's going to be a very entertaining game as well. Um, obviously, USA versus England, that's going to be another, that's going to be another key match. Um, and, you know, Wales versus England, you know, rivalries and big games. I, 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 I'm just really looking forward to it because I think a lot of, not just for football reasons, for a lot of several other reasons as well. The group B, just um, there's 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 a lot of drama involved there, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Mm. Uh, let's talk briefly about some of the controversies as well now, and they centre mostly around the host country, uh, its problematic human rights record and its intolerance to uh, homosexuality. It seems because of this, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino wrote to all the nations taking part, asking for there to be no protests at the tournament. Uh, however, I believe teams like England and Wales have said that they are going to ignore the plea by wearing rainbow-coloured armbands to support the LGBT plus One Love initiative. Uh, Mr Price, how do you think uh, support like this will be received? Do you think there'll be any problems that arise at this World Cup because of some of these issues? Right, yeah. Infantano said about uh, how people should focus on football, but of course the World Cup wasn't decided based on you know, just football. Qatar didn't bid for it just because they love football. They bidded for it for other reasons as well, uh, mainly to improve their country's image, uh, help them get trade deals and so forth. So to say focus on football is... Yeah, also saying that um, Infantino said I think, either today or yesterday at the G20 that he would want uh, Ukraine and Russia to hold a, have a truce over the World Cup. So clearly he's thinking of football also as bigger than just football. Mm. Uh, last weekend in the Bundesliga, there were massive protests. Uh, there was you know, all banners across the whole stadiums talking about the uh, 15,000 people who have died in Qatar, uh, 15,000 foreigners. Um, there's a lot of controversy about the actual numbers of people, um, but that's the number they decided uh, to put on their banners. And there's also um, going to be some things like Denmark are going to wear a toned-down kit uh, with no sponsors on their training kit either. And England and about half, an, half a dozen other teams like Germany and the Netherlands have decided to wear uh, rainbow-coloured captain's armbands to uh, highlight uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, not every country is doing that. I know France has said they're not going to do that. Um, there's also going to be other protests uh, from other teams. So uh, Iran, for example, uh, Carlos Queiroz has said that Iran are free to protest about uh, women's rights and the situation going on in Iran at the moment. Mm. And in their previous friendly matches, some of the players covered the Iranian badge on their shirts, so can expect to see something like that. But I don't think there's going to be any major protests um, by the teams or by uh, even the supporters either in, in Qatar itself. Um, but there's going to be boycotts. And in general, I think a lot of people are less enthusiastic about the World Cup and the products and stuff that sponsor it uh, because of where it's being played. Mm. Mr. Han, there are a lot of uh, mixed feelings amongst uh, the fans and players, I believe. This could be perhaps one of the most politically charged uh, World Cups uh, in recent memory. From my experience, I work directly with Borussia Dortmund, um, and you know they're kind of also reserved and standoffish in terms of you know what kind of 
what kind of content their media team um, to, to, to produce during the World Cup just because their supporters are so against having the World Cup in Qatar. So it's one of those things where, I, like, like Steve said, um, I don't think the, the team's players playing at the World Cup will do any kind of you know, boycotting or protesting or anything like that. But also at the same time, you, know, you kind of see what, what, what the fans uh, think of in terms of the, the World Cup being held in Qatar. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I guess we'll only have to just wait and see what happens once the tournament starts. But, yeah, it's definitely not a good look. Hmm. Okay, and finally, let's get back to the football and talk about South Korea as well. Uh, Mr. Han, many have said that they have a deceptively difficult group. They're up against Uruguay, Portugal and Ghana. Uh, No powerhouses as such, but they do uh, present tough challenge, each of them. However, uh, some of the teams are having some issues. Ghana seems to be struggling for cover for their goalkeeper position. Uh, Portugal's Ronaldo is having some behind-the-scenes problem with his club, Manchester United as well, which could affect his performance. Uh, With that in mind, how do you think Korea will fare in this group? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Ghana... um missing their best goalkeeper but you know Joe Wallacott it's not like he was a world-class goalkeeper to begin with I mean he's playing for Charlton Athletic in League One that's the third division in English English football so I don't think they're missing out much uh, by by using their third choice goalkeeper but you know at the same time you said this is a deceptively tough group but I'm not sure if I agree with that I think it's a flat-out tough group to be honest with you Mm. and um, just the fact that you know and you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo having some difficulties at Manchester United but you know also at the same time you know Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo is the kind of player when when he has a motivation to prove his doubters wrong then I think he's one of the players who's motivated to play even better. And, you know, he's come through time and time again in situations like that. So that's what makes it a little bit more scary even in terms in terms of the way I, I look at it. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you'd love to say that Korea could, you know, the last, last group game of, uh, for, for Korea for them to beat Portugal mm. and maybe even have the chance to retire, retire Ronaldo from international football. That would that, be a nice, that, I, I think that would be a nice uh, motivation for Korea to play for. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I, you're definitely right that it's, it's a difficult group for Korea. No doubt about that. What do we know about Son Heung-min's injury at the moment and how important will it be for him to play? It's really interesting because he had his first team training since joining Korea in Qatar. Uh, we, we none of us know to what extent, but but uh, throughout the first 15 minutes of training that was available to media, uh, he took part in full training. Uh, it's believed and sort of assumed that he trained individually once the intensity of training went up, and uh, I, I don't think he was part of team training. But you know, we don't have the information on that yet. But I do think it's uh, it, it, it's a promising news that he at least started. Um, training on the pitch with the rest of the team to 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 a certain degree. He was wearing a protective mask, so it, it, it's promising so far, but I guess it's one of those things we'll just have to wait and see. Mr Price, do you think South Korea will be able to get out of their group with or without Son Heung-min? Um, it's kind of 50-50, I think. Uh, they, could, they could do it. They're, they're definitely not a team to write off. Um, the other teams in the group, uh, South Korea have always got good results, uh, apart from games against Brazil, good results uh, under Paulo Bento against South American opponents. So you could see that yeah, based on that, they could get something from Uruguay. And uh, Ghana, they um, actually changed their manager just eight, day, uh, eight games ago. Uh, Otto Addo came in for those two qualification playoffs. And since then, he's also brought in a lot of new players like Inyaki Williams and Tariq Lamptey. So even though they've got a lot of strong players in their team, 
uh, they might lack the team cohesion that uh, some of the other teams such as South Korea have. Mm. And that could give South Korea a bit of an advantage against them. And then also with Portugal, you're kind of, their team looks so strong on paper. Um, it's just full of like star players from the Champions League and the Premier League and so on. But you know, hopefully maybe the Ronaldo situation, I think probably what would happen would be more what Steve Hans said about um, Ronaldo using this uh, to his advantage. But you're kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that it makes uh, Portugal kind of implode a little bit. And uh, by trying to put Ronaldo into their team, it weakens their team uh, in the same way that he weakened Man United's team, even though he's still a very good player. Sure. So, as you said, it seems like a tough challenge, but we'll see how South Korea does. Uh, finally, very f- just some brief predictions. Uh, Mr. Han, let me start with you. Who do you think will win? You said Brazil, but uh, is that uh, your pick as well? And are there any other standout players you think we should look out for? Yeah, I would. Uh, my number one pick is going to have to be Brazil. If I have to come up with a number two pick, I want to say Argentina. Um, that's a rejuvenated team. You know, they're the defending South South American champions. And just the fact that this is this is going to be the last dance for Lionel Messi, I think gives them the motivation to really go for it this time, especially with a much stronger team than they were four years ago. But yeah, if I had to pick one team to win this tournament, I think Brazil. But to be honest with you, I think Brazil by far, in terms of talent and in terms of team cohesion, they are the best team at this tournament. And uh, Mr. Price, uh, what about you? No, uh, England uh, as a fellow Brit? Oh, well, my heart says England. Um, <laughs> and I think you know, a lot of people have written them off a bit early, but my head also says, ever, like everything else, uh, Brazil okay. are definitely the favourites, and Argentina are also going to be one of those teams up there. And as well as that, I think Spain could also do pretty well in this World Cup. Okay. Well, the World Cup kicks off uh, this Sunday officially, and uh, we're looking forward to it already. Uh, We'll leave it there. We've been speaking to Steve Hahn and Steve uh, Price for today's In-Depth. Thank you both for your time today, and we appreciate your analysis. Right. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index dropped 2.88 points, or 0.12% on Wednesday, closing the day at 2,477.45. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also declined, losing 1.86 points, or 0.25%, to close at 743.10. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 7.41 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,325 won. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's our daily segment, Korea Trending, looking at some of the other stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, Walter Lee, to bring us those stories. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jang Ho. It's always good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about the possible bankruptcy of South Korea's first P2P file-sharing service, Sori Pada. We'll also find out which categories BTS has been nominated in for the 2023 Grammy Awards. And finally, we'll discuss Donald Trump's announcement about running for US president again. 
Okay, let's start with that first story then about Suribada, a name that uh, I think many people in Korea wouldn't have heard for a while. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so the nation's first peer-to-peer or P2P file share- sharing service, Suribada, is expected to be uh, expected to file for bankruptcy. Now, according to the legal sector, the Seoul Bankruptcy Court decided on Monday to scrap procedures for co- um, corporate rehabilitation for Suribada. Now, corporate rehabilitation is when a company that undergoes a crisis is rehabilitated under the management of the court if it's recognized that the survival value of the company is higher than the liquidation value. Now, in reaching the decision, the court said it was clearly proven that liquidating its business would be far more value to the debtor than continuing its business. Right, before we go further into the story, could you tell us a little bit more about Soribada? Sure thing. So, the service was highly popular in the early 2000s for providing digital music for free. However, it became mired in a series of copyright infringement lawsuits. In 2007, the Supreme Court found the file-sharing services operators accountable for the illegal reproduction and distribution of music files. Now, the service sought to address the copyright problems by implementing a charged model but failed to find a sole standing with competition from other music streaming services such as Melon and Genie Music. So on September 7th of this year, Saudi Pado was delisted after a court dismissed its injunction against the Korea Exchange's decision to delist the service. Yes, Suribada was the number one music file sharing service at the time in the early 2000s. But as I hinted earlier, I think many people would be surprised that it's still around today. Uh, when did the bankruptcy court launch efforts for corporate rehabilitation then? So in May of this year, following a request from the P2P service, the court apparently assessed that even if it rehabilitates Saudi Pada, the profit that would go to creditors wouldn't be significantly larger than the profit resulting from the service's liquidation. With the court's decision, the only option left for the service is virtually filing for bankruptcy. Yes, while people, particularly millennials, uh, will have fond memories of Saudi Bada in Korea. I don't think it's a huge surprise that Mm. this is what's happening now. Okay, let's uh, move on. Another day, another BTS story, (laughs) it seems, lately. But this is a... A big one concerning the group. Can you tell us more? Yeah, that's correct. The South Korean sensation has received three nominations for the 2023 Grammy Awards. Now, according to the US Recording Academy on Tuesday, the seven-member group received a nomination in the Best Pop Duo Group Performance category for My Universe, a collaboration with the British rock band Coldplay. They were also nominated for Album of the Year as featured artists on Coldplay's Music of the Spheres. BTS picked up a Best Music Video nomination for Yet to Come. Right, so it's an impressive third year of nominations, but the group has yet to actually win one, right? Yeah, that's correct. So the group has been nominated for the Best Group Performance Prize for the third year in a row. Now, following nominations for Dynamite in 2020 and for Butter in 2021. Now, the Septet has become the first K-pop act to be nominated for the prestigious award for three consecutive years. And if they win, they will become the first K-pop act ever to pick up a Grammy. Now, many fans particularly express excitement about the group securing three nominations in this year's Grammy Awards, as this is the first time BTS has been nominated in more than one category in any given year. 
Indeed. Tell us a little bit more about the group's song and music video that are up for the top awards as well. Sure thing. So, My Universe debuted atop Billboard's main singles chart in October of last year and remained on the UK official singles chart top 100 for 12 straight weeks. The yet-to-come video, meanwhile, drew more than 100 million views on YouTube within 10 days of its release. Now, many observers say that the latest nominations are all the more meaningful as they come before Jin, the eldest member of the group, is expected to soon be begin his mandatory military service. Now, the 65th Grammy Awards will be held on February 5th, 2023 in Los Angeles. Yes, maybe the third time will be the charm for the boys <laughs> next year. OK, let's finish up with some big political news coming from the US. Walter, It's very more. big political news. So former US President Donald Trump has announced that he will launch another bid to return as President of the United States. Trump, 76, made the announcement on Tuesday from the ballroom of his private Mar-a-Lago resort in Palm Beach. He will be running for the f- uh, for the top post for the third time following runs in 2016 and 2020. He said, quoted, unquote, in order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States and declared America's golden age is just ahead. Now, Trump served as the 45th President of the United States from 2017 to 2021, but lost his bid for a second term to Joe Biden in the 2020 elections. Right, and he's the first major candidate to formally announce a presidential bid for 2024, right? Yeah, that's correct. So he is. Reuters and other foreign media said Trump made the announcement moments after filing a statement of candidacy with the Federal Election Commission. The latest announcement comes just a week after the 2022 midterm elections in which Trump-backed Republican candidates lost key uh, races, resulting in the Democrats keeping control of the Senate. Yes, his influence did not help in some key races, it seems, and possibly even hindered their chances, Mm. uh, which was a surprise. So that has meant there is some doubt now whether the Republicans will go with Trump for Mm. 2024. In the meantime, did he mention any promises he has in mind if he were to be elected president a second time? No, not particularly. So his speech mainly focused on attacking President Joe Biden's performance since taking office some two years ago, saying the US is a nation in decline. He said he will ensure that Biden does not receive four more years. He did say he will pursue a top-to-bottom overhaul and clean out of the festering rot and corruption of Washington, D.C., and implement new election restrictions, including requiring only paper ballots. Okay, well, that'll be all for today's Career Trending. Walter, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. now to our weekly literary corner Korea Book Club where we take a look at some notable Korean works available in an English translation and beyond. Joining me for that is our literary critic Barry Welsh who has joined us now in the studio. Barry, hello. It's great to see you as always. Yes, good evening, Jangle. 
Okay, so what do you have in store for us this week? So this evening we're reviewing a short story called Beauty Looks Down on Me by Eun-hee Kyung and translated by Sora Kim Russell. And the Korean title is Arum Daumi Narul Myoshihanda. And it was originally published in Korean in 2007. And then the English translation, uh, this translation has been published at least twice. It was first published in 2008 in volume two of the Azalea Journal of Korean. Korean literature and culture. And then again, it was published in 2017 uh, as a title story in a collection of uh, Eun Hee Kyung's short stories published as part of the Dalkey Archive Library of Korean Literature. And Eun is actually extremely popular here in Korea. Uh, she's got uh, six short story collections and four you know, very uh, highly regarded novels. She's won a string of the, the big literary awards in the country, the Munhak Dongni Award, the Isang Award and so on. Uh, but however, she's not as well known uh, to English readers uh, and, and certainly not as well known as some of her contemporaries like Shin Kyung Suk or, or Gong Ji Young. So today's story, uh, Beauty Looks Down on Me, it's a great entry point, I think, to Un's uh, work. Mm. And it tells the story of a young man, a youngish man, uh, struggling with weight loss and suffering from abandonment issues. Right, when we say uh, abandonment, abandonment issues, I understand we're talking about the uh, protagonist struggles to cope with an absent father. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, although Beauty Looks Down on Me was initially written in 2007, it seems to have been quite forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, single-parent families and unrealistic body expectations, even for men, especially in this yeah. age of social media, have both become quite prevalent social uh, talking points and issues. So then how does Un tackle these issues and what does she have to say about them? Right, yes. Yeah, so so just like you say, you know, reading this story, you know, it, it's impossible not to think about, you know, some of those discussions and, you know, debates about body image uh, in Korea and, uh, of course, elsewhere as well. You know, it's a much uh, remarked upon phenomenon uh, of our times that social media has been a driver of depression and young people. You know, we have all these studies that show an ever increasing number of youths that have, you know, uh, uh, body image issues. And like you mentioned, this story has a very predictive element because it was published uh, just as social media was really beginning to take off. Mm. Uh, And the issues that it talks about, I think, have been exacerbated in the the decade and a half since. Uh, And this story shows uh, shows someone struggling with these uh, negative feelings about their appearance. Uh, The unnamed narrator in the story wants to lose weight. Ever since he was a young boy, he's been quite significantly overweight. And this has been a great source of depression and anxiety. And as a result, he's developed quite uh, low self-esteem. As a man now in his 30s, he decides, you know, much to the surprise of his friends and his co-workers and family members, that he's going to try and go on a diet. Will he succeed? Right. So this is understandably a very sensitive topic for many people. How does then depict this young man's struggles with weight and his attempts at weight loss? Well, that this is the, the most compelling aspect of the story. Uh, we get an insight into how he, how he thinks about his weight and that it's constantly something that he has to think about as he moves through his days in the office or on public transport in restaurants when he's with his friends or his family and his co-workers he's constantly aware or he's made to be aware 
uh, of his physical uh, presence in the world, how he's judged by the people around him. Uh, and for example, there's some very uh, sort of insightful moments where he talks about the shame that he feels using public transport. He says... Uh, it was true that every time I took a seat on a bus, I was careful not to touch the person sitting next to me. Mm. Several times I'd been unable to bear the misunderstanding of some young woman uh, and got off the bus before my stop. Then later, uh, he talks about how challenging it is just to shop for, for clothes, something that, that many people take for, for granted. And for him, this isn't something he can take for granted. He says, what's far more uncomfortable uh, is the fact that we can't do anything without being noticed. One of the major advantages of online shopping is that a fat person can shop for extra large clothes or a scale without feeling like everyone is staring at them. Mm. And these details, it's very convincing and realistic and I feel it gives some genuine insight into the experience this young man's having and it's the slow steady accumulation of these unwanted stares and, and comments uh, and moments of shame that finally convince him to uh, embark on his diet Right, uh, societal microaggressions shall yeah, we say right. uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time it's interesting it, they're perhaps a heightened uh, He's uh, perhaps heightened to those concerns because of Mm -hmm. his own uh, low self-esteem as well. So then how does he find this journey to lose weight, particularly in how he sees the world uh, respond to his attempts? Right, yes. So this is another strong point of the story. I think uh, Un does a a very good job of this. So we we see how the world reacts to him and, and the world doesn't react kindly at times. He's doubted by everyone around him. It's almost as if people don't want him to change or succeed. They don't understand why he's doing it, it seems. And when he starts to only eat specific foods or avoid other foods you know people again judge him and and mock his efforts and he has to endure this uh, experience as well we see how he becomes a topic of conversation and gossip in his office people speculate openly in in front of him uh, about whether he'll succeed or not uh, even his mother questions his motives and, and tempts him with food that he, he, he says that he can't eat, he doesn't want to eat. Uh, and again, it's this challenge of this experience. It seems very uh, real and quite nuanced and it's, it's very affecting. Yeah, even just talking about it is making me feel uncomfortable and quite stressed as well. Right, uh-huh, uh, yeah. You mentioned at the beginning that the narrator is also dealing with abandonment issues. How does that factor into the story? Right, well, we learn at the beginning of the story that his father left him and his mother. It's not exactly spelled out what's happened, but it seems like his conception was a mistake. It was possibly the result of a one-night stand. And his father, who was maybe more upper class in some way or, or more wealthy or privileged than his mother was already married and eventually cut ties with him uh, and his and his mother. And, and for the narrator, for this young man who was, I think, 12 years old at the time, this becomes connected to his weight as, as well. He's convinced that his father uh, abandoned him because of his weight. Uh, and he says... Uh, at the beginning, he says, if I'd been one of those clever, innocent kids, he'd have been the tragic hero. But a fat kid who looks stupid and grumpy all the time could never amount to anything more than a reminder of his past mistake, his one moment of folly. 
Uh, and this is also very, uh, you know, sensitively and realistically depicted in the story. This, you know, he feels like he was abandoned and he has these very negative uh, or complicated feelings towards his father. But these are all wrapped up with his his uh, his low self-esteem. And so in his determination to free himself from, from one of these issues, he perhaps also frees himself from the other one too, or is at least on the path to, mm. to freeing himself from right. it. Uh, you know, this is it's a, a very dark story. There's some things in the story that we haven't mentioned. It is quite a dark story with quite a pessimistic view of human nature at times. But it isn't a story that's completely without hope. And it does, I think, ultimately show that it is possible to move on from the things that scar us in our youth uh, and the things that are uh, affecting the way we think about our appearance. Uh, and as I've mentioned, it's sensitive and nuanced depiction of someone who's unhappy with their appearance and then the difficult struggle that they endure in that process of, of trying to change it. Yeah, I think that key word there, scar, uh, leaving a lasting impression even uh, once the wounds are healed mm-hmm. over. It sounds like quite an affecting story. Once again, it's called A Beauty Looks Down on Me by Unhi Young. Right, that was our pick for this week's club. Barry, thank you for introducing us to that work and uh, we'll see you again next time. Have a great week. Okay, take care. I'm cellist Saul Daniel Kim and you are now listening to Career 24 on KBS World Radio. It's time for us to close out the show with a morning edition preview where we take a look at some interesting features reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have our staff editor, Richard Larkin, joining us in the studio now. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. so what do you have for us first? First, we'll look at Park Ga-young's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald. The article takes a look at how orchestras in Korea are finding the next generation of classical music conductors. Okay, interesting. So a new generation of classical music conductors. Can you tell us more? Well, the success of Korean classical music performers in the past few years has given the genre a bit of a boom in popularity. It seems like the performer's success has helped attract new audiences. The article says that there's also a bit of a cultural obstacle when it comes to Korean people as conductors. So this could be a bit of a problem. Mm. Rachel Boron, who has experience in the music industry and also manages conductors, said that to be a conductor, one has to be strong and clear. She mentions that it is hard for Korean students to do that as they are more humble and shy. Right. So with the boom in popularity for classical music performances in Korea, they're looking for more conductors, essentially, especially young conductors. But uh, it seems to be uh, a bit of an issue. So orchestras are looking at ways to find new talent and help overcome their obstacles, right? They are. There are numerous workshops and masterclasses to help deal with those type of problems. For example, the Korean National Symphony has workshops and lectures that look into the world of artist management. So more like networking at competitions and making sure they reach out to people even if they don't win. Mm. Also, the KBS Symphony Orchestra and the Seoul Philharmonic have a year-long masterclass. The KBS Symphony Orchestra's masterclass was part of the new music director, Pietari Inkinen's efforts to foster the country's next generation of conductors. The article mentions that the music director is seen as one of Finland's music education success stories. 
The article goes into more detail about the experts' views on conducting in Korea. Sounds promising. Hopefully we are able to see Korea's success when it comes to uh, conducting in the near future. OK, mm-hmm. let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Next, I have an important date for our listeners to mark on their calendars, and that is November 22nd, mm. because it is Kimchi Day. <laughs> it's an official day in Korea and in the US states of New York, Virginia and California. Lee Kyung-min's article in the business section of the Korea Times gives us all the information about the Korean delicacy. Yes, Kimchi Day, a very <laughs> important date. Uh, I'm sure when people think of Korean food, they will uh, think to kimchi uh, almost immediately. And right. there is a reason why it's eaten so much by Korean people. That's right. The side dish is seasoned with spices and fermented seafood, so it doesn't need any additives or preservatives, unlike processed foods. And according to studies, the dish helps with stronger immunity, cholesterol reduction and weight management and prevents many types of cancer. Yes, it is sometimes known as a superfood, which <laughs> is uh, just some of the reasons why kimchi is so popular here. Yes, and kimjang, which is the making and sharing of kimchi, was actually inscribed on the UNESCO representative list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity in 2013. There are events for Kimchi Day in Seoul. It will be celebrated at Namzangol Hanuk Village. There is also a kimchi cooking competition on the same day at the Plaza Seoul Hotel. Yes, and as you said, it'll be celebrated in the US states of New York, Virginia and California as well on November 22nd. We'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's all for our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Bye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in case of high levels of fine dust. Before going outside, check the air quality by visiting online resources or checking your local weather forecast. When the level of fine dust is high, avoid outdoor activities such as hiking, biking or field sports. Wear protective gear such as masks, glasses and hats. Close your windows, doors and dry your laundry inside. Wash your face often and make sure to also blow your nose regularly. If you have to leave your home, try to use public transportation in order to reduce air pollution. Take a shower after returning home to avoid skin irritation and rinse your sinuses if possible. Before preparing food, wash your hands and make sure to wash fruit and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go.